Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. Please welcome Henry Furman. You didn't promise applause. I would have, I don't know, dressed up even more, but thank you very much. It's, uh, it's a real privilege to, to introduce uh, our good friend and journalist and colleague, Cheryl. Um, at, at AHA, the Asian American Journalist, we, like you, we're, we're lovers of words. Like many of you, we create words. Uh, what's really cool today is in our membership, we probably create tens of thousands of words every day in print and pixels on screens, and there it's like red today, gone, like right now, gone tomorrow, just very ephemeral. And here one of our own, Cheryl, is creating works of lasting uh, value through her memoir, A Tiger in the Kitchen, which sub subtitle, very accurate, a memoir of food and family, uh, highly recommended. And um, she brought me um, some pineapple tarts from the family recipe, which is discussed in there. So that alone was worth the uh, uh, Taken on this task, right? So, um, and is, is working on a novel, which may or may not come up later. But she's here to talk about this anthology she's, she's uh, edited called Singapore uh, Noir, uh, about her home country, really a city-state. So, who better to um, to put this book together? She'll read from her own piece, which is real R E E L, which is the spelling is crucial here. Remember that, and from another of uh, the dozen plus pieces in, in, the, in the book. The, and uh, we're journalists, we're very informal. There'll be some, uh, she'll talk about uh, the stories in between reading and, and there'll be time for, for question and answer later. But uh, it's just a real privilege to be among people who love words and create words. And uh, here's someone who does both really well. So here's Cheryl. Well, thanks, Henry, and uh, thanks, Skylight. Um, I've never been to this bookstore before, but I love LA, and now I love this bookstore. It's my new favorite bookstore. Um, <laughs> and uh, if you're going to tweet anything, um, it's my or want to follow me. It's hash, uh, I'm Cheryl Tan 88. Um, I'm very happy to be here because I grew up in a in a place that is very much like LA in climate. Um, and I've lived in New York for 11 years now. And um, every time I come to a sunny place, I'm just so happy. Um, you know, how many of you have been to Singapore for a start? Oh, great. Okay, so you kind of know. Um, well, for those of you who haven't been, uh, Singapore is we we call it um, the little red dot because it's so tiny. Um, it's a small island on the tip of the Malay Peninsula and um, you can drive from one end to the other in like 90 minutes pretty much. And, uh, and they have, we, right now we, the population is about 5 million and so you have people, 5 million people sort of jammed together on this island. And um, you have really wealthy people. Um, the country now has 
a bar that has a that sells a $26,000 cocktail. Um, it comes with a diamond in it, and you can keep the diamond. Um, the Facebook found uh, one of the founders of Facebook recently um, uh, became Singaporean because um, you know he wanted to. He moved to Singapore, and um, so we have one incredibly wealthy Singaporean. And uh, and we also, but we also have you know the ordinary people, um, people who work hard for a living, uh, people of all races, Chinese, Indians, Malays, um, Caucasians, and people from all over the world. And um, so when you have people sort of mixed up together in such a small space, <laughs> uh, you can't uh, help but have good stories come out of there, which is what I've always thought. Um, I grew up in Singapore, and um, I always, <laughs> but I've lived here for now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've lived here for 20 plus years now, and um, in all my time here, it always struck me that whenever I bring up Singapore, people always say to me one of a few things, caning, strict laws, fines, chewing gum, and you know, all of these things, you know, I understand from, you know, from reading the papers here, that's the, those are the headlines, that's what you're going to remember. Um, but Singapore to me has always been so much more complex than that. I mean, people think that because it's very strict, um, because it has all these laws that, you know, it's very boring, nothing ever happens. Um, but that's not true. If, you, if you've ever visited Singapore, you know for starters that a lot of the best places to eat are the red light districts. Um, you know, you, you, you go there and the food's cheap and then there are all these, you know, you're eating among like, you know, hungry men and, and and prostitutes um, and you know you're having the best plate of noodles on the island and um, you know when you have places like that and there are these pockets all over the country that are kind of like that um, the loan sharks in Singapore are crazy you know they'll paint on your door in pig's blood and leave the pig's head outside your door um, and you know so the, we grew up with these incredibly colorful stories there's not that much homicide but when homicide does happen it's usually pretty spectacular uh, there's a there's a church in downtown Singapore that my, whenever my family passes through m someone always says the word curry because the church cook um, killed her husband and like chopped him up with the help of her family and like turned him into curry um, and uh, she was never convicted so this is all alleged <laughs> um, so she's a very smart woman or maybe a very good cook or both <laughs> Um, so, you know, we have, so I grew up with all these stories, but then I always wondered, you know, no one here ever knows of these stories. So three years ago, when I was at the Miami Book Fair promoting my first book, A Tiger in the Kitchen, um, I was at the book party, and um, mystery writer S.J. Roseanne, who um, edited Bronx Noir, and, uh, you know, knew the publisher of, uh, of, of these no this Noir collection, um, introduced me to the publisher and said, and so I asked him the question I'd been wanting to ask him, why isn't there a Singapore Noir? And uh, he said, well, I don't know any writers from Singapore. And my friend SJ said, well, you do now. Um, so that's literally how it started. So if you want to write a book, go to lots of parties or get to know SJ Roseanne. <laughs> She'll introduce you. Um, so once that got started, I, I thought, okay, well, this is great. Like, I get to tell my country's stories, um, and I get to um, bring people, people's voices who haven't been heard here over to the States. So I made this sort of wish list of, like, the top Singaporean writers. And like, these were, like, the Philip Roths, like the A.M. Holmes um, of Singapore. And I just went out and asked all of them, you know, if they would contribute a story. And some of them had gone into semi-retirement. Um, because if you think book publishing, it's difficult to make uh, money in book 
books here, it's really hard to make money in books in Singapore. Um, so a lot of people have day jobs, and then over time, you know, your day job becomes the thing that you do. So a lot of sort of the the grand old guard of like Singlet had um, become partners in law firms and things like that. Um, but a few of them, you know, one of them came out of retirement to write a, a piece, so that was very nice. Um, and um, and um, you know, and a lot of them said yes because right away, you know, they said no. This is a this is an interesting project. Um, a lot of these great Singaporean voices haven't been heard overseas, so we want to be a part of that. We want to tell our stories. Um, so that was fantastic. Um, and you'll read some of them in here. Like Philip, three of them in particular have won the Singapore Lit Prize, which is the Pulitzer Prize over there. Um, and that's uh, Simon Tay, uh, Su Chen, Christine Lim, and Colin Cheong, and they wrote wonderful stories in here. Um, and on top of that, we have. Um, overseas authors like British novelist Lawrence Osborne um, has a wonderful story in there. S.J. Roseanne has a great story in there. Um, in fact, if, when, when I read it, um, I thought it was more Singaporean, in fact, than some of the Singaporean stories that came in. So she did a lot of research. Um, what I, if you haven't read any of these noir books, the big thing about here is um, if you have a copy of the book, like there's a map in there, and it's got like little dead bodies all over the island, and um, basically I let the writers choose each one. You choose a neighborhood, and you can write a noir story just set there. So th those are the two basic rules. Um, so what I love is you see a lot of quirks, a lot of characters in here, a lot of neighborhoods that you wouldn't know um, if you didn't live in Singapore, um, and. Um, a lot of the quirky details about Singapore and its customs really come through. Um, one of my favorite characters in here is a feng shui master who is brought in um, to cleanse a room when something bad has happened. So he kind of turns into a detective because he comes into a room when people are killed and or you know they die, and uh, he goes, wait a minute, this person didn't die naturally, and he kind of figures things out. So he's kind of like a feng shui detective. Um, and so you have wonderful settings, like um, one story is set in an old Chinese temple. The protagonist is a woman who um, is the, the medium who channels the monkey god spirit. And uh, that's actually something that happens all over the country in Singapore. Um, spirits are very present and you know, people talk about them a lot. So actually they appear in a few of these stories in here. Um, and I want to read a little bit from, um, from uh, one of the stories that kind of shows this a little bit. Um, because people have asked me before, what makes this Singapore noir? Um, as opposed to LA Noir or Brooklyn Noir. And the, the color in it is what I think really sort of makes it distinctly Singapore, Singaporean. Um, and I think you'll see why. So this is from Colin Cheong's um, story, which is about a taxi cab driver. Um, and uh, in Singapore, we call everyone uncle. So you get into a taxi, he's the taxi uncle. And um, so his story about the taxi uncle is, is, um, is lovely. And he's one of the writers I mentioned who has won the Singapore Lit Prize. So, um, and you'll get to read a story in here. Ahwad had a tiny wooden coffin in his cab, about four inches long, carved in a Chinese style, with the graceful sweeps and arcs that differentiated it from the modern Western caskets. He had it in the glove compartment most of the time, but at night it rode on the dashboard, his silent passenger, the thing that watched his back, because so much can go wrong at night. The thing that watched his back, and any passenger who understood, would be fairly warned. Those who understood would know that in that little scaled-down coffin was the bone of a dead child, somewhat difficult to come by now because of cremation, but more common in the days of burials and when child mortality was still high. That bone in its coffin kept the child's spirit with the owner. Both were bound to each other. Both were master and servant. 
Ahuat had inherited that coffin from his father, and so now the child spirit that once followed his father, following him to do his bidding, on the condition that Ahuat took care of it. Ahuat sometimes made a show of it in the way that Christians sometimes like to say grace loudly in public. When he ate, he would order two meals or two cups of coffee. He would pay for both, but only consume one. Those who did not understand would simply think he had been stood up, probably by an inconsiderate child or an unfaithful mainland Chinese girlfriend only interested in him as a meal ticket or for his central provident fund savings. Those who understood knew that he was feeding his child spirit, and the waiters who knew would keep their distance from the apparently uneaten meal to clear it later when it was safe. And that was why Ahuat never let a fare sit in the front passenger seat. It was already occupied. And you'll have to read more to find out what happens. <laughs> but um, so it's little details like that that I just love that you'll kind of see um, peppered through the story. And um, Colin's story in particular um, is, uh, is, is based a lot um, in fact, not in his own life, but uh, he used to work as a police officer. So, uh, so you'll see in his story, like there's a lot of detail about how people get interrogated and, and everything. Um, and that really comes through. And, um, and this sort of brings me to a point that, um, that I think is, is interesting to make about this. A lot of the writers in here who are Singaporean had never written noir before. And this is the first time they're trying it. And when I was thinking about why that was, um, I think it's kind of a risky thing in a country where the laws are very strict. Um, you know, because if you, if you write about people breaking the law, people wonder, you know, what kind of subversive person you are, I guess. Um, and this really came through to me when, um, when I was in Singapore. The, the book launched in Singapore first, and then it launched here. And um, I was doing a big morning show um, one of the big morning shows at home and um, the person who uh, the producer called me like two days before I was supposed to come on and he sounded very concerned on the phone and he was like well so these these stories they're 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 you know I've read them you know they, they feel very real um, where do they come from I'm like oh well you know it's, you know all fiction comes from a lot of he's like yeah yeah but you know do you know like you know where these stories actually came from and basically he was trying to get at whether you know any of my writers had committed crimes and so I had to tell him as far as I know you know no one has committed homicide that I know of. <laughs> and then everything was fine. Um, and then it was funny, if you see the video, like the ticker at the bottom says something like, you know, Singapore noir, like dark fiction, uh, dark stories, but it's all fiction. <laughs> like, he had to make that point because, so, you know, to me, this book is a little, I guess it ended up being a little bit more daring than I thought because, you know, maybe we're, we're writers are stretching and they, they actually said that they had fun doing this and some of them might write more noir. Um, so, um, and also maybe we get to change people's perceptions about the country, um, both here and in Singapore as well. Um, so um, I'm very excited about that. And I, I'm, I'll, I'll end with um, reading a little bit from my story, um, which is set in a in a place um, that is very dear to me. And um, and that's the other thing that I about this book. Um, you know, I love the that you're going to discover a lot of neighborhoods that you'll probably never visit um, unless you actually go out of your way to visit. And uh, this is one of those places. Uh, I grew up on the eastern part of the island um, in a in near a neighborhood named Changi. And if you've been to Singapore, you will have been to Changi because that's where the airport is. But uh, 
but um, but you pretty much don't go from the airport to downtown and you don't do anything else there. Um, but next to Changi, there's a tiny little village um, that is sort of like it used to be an old fishing village, and um, and so as a as a teenager, I used to love to go there and take the bus all the way there and like sit on the water and kind of look out at the morning fishermen and you know eat a good breakfast and then come home. Um, and uh, I had this very romantic view of this place because it feels very old. You know, you look at Singapore, if you look at the cover, the U.S. cover, um, it's got this gleaming skyline, and all you know about Singapore is that it's got this bustling economy, um, you know, it's lo great shopping, uh, a lot of people talk about the food now, um, but there are little pockets of Singapore that are gradually disappearing, and, and this is one of them, and um, when I used to look, sit on that water and look out, um, in the tiny sliver of water between Singapore and Malaysia, um, there are these sort of, if you look out, they look like houses on stilts, and it's basically houses circled by um, these long poles, and the poles are designed to be kind of like a labyrinth, like a, tra a trap for fish, and we call them kelongs, and, um, and um, this used to be how most of the fish was supplied to restaurants in Singapore, but fish farming became more lucrative, so these kelongs have all dis gradually disappeared, and now they're just a handful left, and, um, and I used to look out at these kelongs and wonder, you know, what life was like on these kelongs because all you do is, you know, the stilts are all in place and you're basically going to just, you know, you've set the traps, you're waiting for the fish to come and um, what do you do on a place where nothing ever happens? So I set my um, story in one of these kelongs. Aming knew how, how it would end even before they appeared. The nibong poles would have long been in place, a wooden labyrinth designed to attract and confuse. He imagined their hearts racing, surges of blood pumping through, adrenaline pulling them further into the buttery blackness, panic steering them along the rows of columns. They would sense then that it was too late. Even so, there was nothing left to do but swim, just keep swimming. It carried reassurance, even if false. By the time the nets closed in, snuggling them together in a tight, slippery ball, there was no more point in trying. This was stupid daydreaming, Aming's mom would say. Fish so stupid, where got brains to think? The woman had a point, and the truth of that was what kept the family in business. Not good business, mind you. Fish farming was becoming far more practical and lucrative than kilong fishing these days. But to start a new fish farm, expensive law. Maybe when Along came back from Queensland with his Atas business degree, then they could discuss. For now, with the kelong that Kong Kong set up years ago, the family managed to catch enough each month to pass the time. Not good, not bad, just can la. Just can. That was what Aming's days were, one flowing into the next. His only relief came one Sunday. Aming was squatting on the jetty after a late breakfast, smoking a cigarette, trying to see how long he could pull on it, how long he could get the ash to last before it fell off in one long tube. He was getting better at it, almost reaching one and a half centimeters, which made him feel a bit proud, la, even if no one noticed or cared. Life on the Kelong is just like that, he had learned in a year. If you don't notice the small things, there's nothing to notice at all. I promise you something actually does happen <laughs> in this story. <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, but, you'll have, but you'll have to read the story to find out. Um, and I guess maybe we'll take some questions. Thank you. Do you have questions for our writer?
So would you talk a little bit about Singapore as a place of these different people, the Tamils and the Malaysians, and how they all get along, and the languages they use? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, uh, languages, uh, you'll see Singlish in here. If you haven't heard Singlish, I think there was a little bit of it in my story. Um, but it's kind of a, the local pidgin that we speak. Um, it's English, Malay, and Chinese mixed in, primarily. And, so, and sometimes, even if all the words are English, um, you might not understand the sentence completely because the sentence structure is Chinese, for example. Um, like a popular phrase is, um, um, you know, if, if you ask me something and I don't really know the answer and I think you're being stupid, like, I'll be like, you ask me, I ask who. Um, you know, it's like, because in Mandarin we would say, ni wen wo wo wen shui. And so the exact thing in uh, English is you ask me, I ask who. Um, and um, Malay, you know, for emphasis sometimes, um, a word is said twice. So sometimes, you know, the word will be said twice and, you, and that's the reason why. Um, and uh, la is uh, tagged on to the end of a lot of sentences. As for emphasis, it's kind of, I've been told it's sort of like the Canadian A or, uh, or man you would use here. So, um, you know, so it's, it's sort of, it's like you hear, hear la a lot. And, um, but English is the prim primary language spoken among everyone um, because when um, the Singapore government was formed in, 19, in the 1960s, they decided, okay, well, if everyone's, everyone's going to get along. We all have to speak the same language. So, and we used to be a British colony, so um, so English is taught first, and then for me, I'm Chinese eth ethnically, so I had to learn Mandarin. Uh, if you're Malay, you have to learn Malay. So, and, but everyone ends up speaking a little bit of everything, um, at least enough to order food. <laughs> <laughs> the important things. Okay, so you live in New York, mm -hmm. but you were born in the location you were born, and you're a Nawaz specialist. So, where's the plan? Um, where's the what? Where's the plan? The, the plan. The plane. The plane. The plane. <laughs> Oh, oh, uh, well, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, Singapore and Malaysia are always fighting. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> so we really don't know where it is, but we didn't do it. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, um, you know, I, uh, I, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, Is it the Malaysian government? Are they strange? Uh, I don't personally know anyone in the Malaysian government. <laughs> um, I know people in the Singapore government, and they're all very nice. But everyone's a little strange, I think. <laughs> so I assume that these were all written in English. Yes, yes. Um, most of the writers in Singapore, they write in, uh, in English. Well, the, these writers, anyway. The, um, there's also Malay lit in Singapore, and like uh, Mandarin lit, and Tamil lit. Um, and so, um, you know, every year, like, the Arts Council gives out these awards. And, and so the, the award ceremonies are very long because there's like four big categories, you know. So, um, so, yeah, so it's great to see, like, a country with a really thriving sort of, like, and broad lit culture and being supported as well. Um, and, um, you know, but I'd always, I, I'd, I was always a little frustrated that. I, when I moved here, I didn't see some of these names here because they're not published by U.S. publishers. They're published by Asian publishers, or maybe some of them have moved over to U.K. Um, but um, so now I'm hoping that you know this book will, you know, if you if you see someone's name, someone's story that you like, you know, it might help. You know, someone might be like, oh, I want to read more from Philip J. Ratnam, or you know, I want to read more of like a video use plays or something, and they'll start to seek them out. As as the editor, do you have to do how much? work did you have to do um, from what they gave you and did you Americanize it at all or something? Yeah, well, I mean, all the writers, including uh, Lawrence Osborne, who's British, um, turned in everything in, in British spelling. So, <laughs> so I had to, so we had to change everything to American spelling. Um, and, uh, and they were fine; they understood. Um, 
But then when the Singapore publisher bought, this is a Singapore cover, by the way. It's much more lurid. Um, as a, as a, and and uh, people always ask me if that's me. No, it's not me. <laughs> my skirt would have been shorter. <laughs> but uh, as, a, as my friend Jim has, has said, when, he's, when he saw this cover, he said, you're putting the loo in lurid. <laughs> Um, but um, yeah, no, they were written in um, they were written in English, but in British English. Um, and then we sort of, when the published Singapore publisher uh, bought it, he was like, "Why is this all Americanized?" And he had to change it all back. So, um, so, but it's you know, but that's yeah how it was. Um, you said this was your first shot at writing noir. How much research did you do, and what did you research specifically? Mm. I did a lot of research about how boats work. I'd never driven a boat before. I, you, don't, you don't call it driving a boat, right? Okay, anyway. <laughs> um, I, I, so how boats work, uh, how fishing works, and how kelongs work. Um, and also, I, went, I, w I had been on a kelong fairly recently, and I had taken like, you know, a few dozen photos. So, um, so I, I felt like I sort of could see the intimate spaces of where they lived and how closely they lived, um, and uh, what sort of everyday like was was like a little bit. So um, that was that was a that was my research. Um, some of the writers in here, I asked them where their stories came from, um, because one of them, um, um, he's, he's been asked about it a lot because everyone knows him as this sort of, you know, partner in a law firm, and he's very straight-laced, and his story is like, you know, very sexy, and uh, and uh, and uh, so he said he was inspired a lot. Singapore has had a bunch of sex scandals recently. They're crazy sex scandals if you look them up. Um, yeah, and um, and um, so so he said his story was inspired by that, um, and also there are two stories in here um, that are about maids. There are a lot of maids in Singapore. There's huge maid culture in Singapore. Um, it's very the government has made it very inexpensive to get help, live in help from like you know Indonesia, the Philippines, um, and um, and so there's a huge culture of uh, of uh, of help there. And um, so two of them center around that, um, which is very topical as well. So the the book in a way is a very current snapshot, I would say, of of, of modern Singapore, both in terms of um, you know place, um, you know uh, scandals, and also things that people are discussing and the changing complexion of the country and people's discussion of race and expats and their role in our country. Um, so, you know, if you're curious about Singapore, you know, this will be a, a good snapshot for you. For you, how much was it uh, reading other noir books to kind of get a feel for the genre and how much was it like reading police reports? Other crimes that happened in, in the area that you Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I, I, uh, I may have spent most of my journalistic career writing about fashion, but I actually started out working Sunday cops in, at the Baltimore Sun, um, and uh, and that was one of the best jobs of my life. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, you show up on a on a Sunday, and like you know, all the all the you know terrific homicides happen on Saturday night, and uh, it's like there were four last night. Where do I start? Um, so, you know, I, I always sort of remembered sort of a lot of those that those sort of uh, stories being very you know sort of grabbing me. I remember them until now. Um, but also, you know, I, I, I was, I'd always been, I love Patricia Highsmith, um, and I thought about her a lot. And when I was writing my own story, I thought a lot about Flannery O'Connor, actually. I love, um, she's one of my favorite writers. She's, um, and I know it's not uh, noir uh, per se, but um, sort of the atmospheric feel of her stories was what I tried to think about a lot. And also Hitchcock as well. So um, those were sort of the very disparate influences. Um, oh, yeah. uh, you know, you've lived, lived for quite a few years away from Singapore. Do you think it's altered your perceptions of the place, or you know, do you think you would have 
you know, because it's most Singaporeans are very proud of the fact that it's a very clean place, it's very orderly, and you know, that you're one of the Singaporeans I've noticed who we can't tend to the dark side. <laughs> it's more interesting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I was, I was, I was a little. I was curious about how this book would be received in Singapore um, and by the government um, because of its its content, and it's so different from the sort of the sparkling, pristine image that everyone tries to put out. Um, but they've actually they've actually been very interested in the book. Um, I'm leaving from here to go to San Francisco, and the San Francisco consulate's throwing a party for it, um, and they've actually read the book, so you know they they they, they know what's in it. Um, so I'm not sure what to expect. Um, I keep thinking um, they're you know. I'm, they're luring me there with like you know food and drink, and I'm gonna end up never appearing anywhere else ever again. <laughs> so if you never hear from me, <laughs> um, and but you know I think you know it's um you know Singapore has a sexy side, and they're curious for people to to see it. So maybe um, maybe that's part of it. But my to answer your question, um, I think I, I do see Singapore differently than if I had lived there, um, because when I'm there. Uh, I'm so pressed up against everything. It's hard for me to see a story clearly with my nose up against the glass. But over here, I have such distance that I can kind of put it in greater perspective and write about it. Um, I don't, you know, the first, my first book, uh, A Tiger in the Kitchen, would not have happened if I hadn't moved away because it was a story about missing home and missing Singaporean food and going back to search for it. Um, and when it when it came out, I, you know, it's funny. This is a criticism I never envisioned, but I saw some Singaporeans griping about my book on Twitter. Because because they said, she's writing so poetically about our food. Is it really that special? And I'm like, well, maybe not to you. Like, you eat it every day, but I don't have my grandma cooking my kitchen every day, you know? <laughs> so, so, you know, it's that kind of thing. I mean, I'm not saying it's better or, you know, it's just different. Like, if I were there, I would be writing different stories. And I'm here, I'm writing different stories. Um, but Singapore clearly is a huge muse of mine um, because, you know, this tiger came out of that, and then this book came out of that, and my novel, um, which I recently completed a draft of is um is also set in Singapore. So um so apparently I can't stop writing about it even though I don't live there. Um, well, there seems to be a lot more uh, vi viral video and uh, <laughs> and uh, citizen citizen journalism involved, um, or uh, somehow I'm I'm not they're not all that different. Um, no, there, there. Uh, a lot of them, the a lot of them involved uh, teachers, professors. The recent ones involved professors, like law professors in particular, um, like sleeping with their students and making them not not their slaves, but just sort of like, one, yeah, one of them was particularly bad. Um, so, and then they went to court over it somehow. I'm not sure why. Um, I forget what, what the details were, but he was basically, you know, she was a young student and he was making her like, take him out to big dinners and everything, buying him Rolex watches and you know. Anyway, so it, it was it was fascinating. It's a yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the, they're the ones who were about the two law students who kept posting videos of themselves having sex, and and one almost got one almost got expelled and got his citizens. It, it was like strange stuff like that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a class system that functions over there? Yeah, and it's uh, it's funny. Um, it's it's uh, you know, there's definitely it's not as as pronounced as other Asian countries, I would say, but um, but uh, but there's definitely. Uh, 
you know, sort of, you can kind of see, like, you know, you could sort of tell from uh, the stories, like, m the, my, my protagonist is someone who's, you know, very much of a different class, and he's going to be of a different class than his brother, who's been able to have a college degree. And so a lot of these separations start pretty early, because the Singapore school system being what it is, like, they identify the gifted kids early on, and they pull them straight up, you know, and, I mean, everyone gets a good education system, so education in school in Singapore but um, but you can start to see the funneling happen at a fairly early age um, and then that just plays out later on in life right. I guess my larger question is what did the British leave there <laughs> Uh, a lot of things. Uh, and, uh, actually, a lot of that is explored in my uh, in my novel. Just sort of uh, race and class and um, and uh, sexual politics and post-colonial sort of you know sort of you know racial dynamics um, in Singapore. Um, and I find that incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, everyone in Singapore is like, oh, you know, nobody here is racist. But then all the you know it's it, but then you, you 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 peel back the layers and you kind of see um, very deeply entrenched attitudes about you know who you will marry, who you won't marry who you will date, who you won't date, um, you know, who you'll do business with, who you won't do business with. So we have a better attitude. We have called ethnic pride over here. You call it racism as an excuse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Big topic. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to the UK? Uh, no, I'm not. Um, although two of my writers, one is based in the UK and one is British, so, but um, if, I, if I do go, you know, um, I will, I will let everyone on Facebook know. <laughs> Singapore does do a really good job of presenting a pristine, almost rigid mm -hmm. kind of perception of its country. And you think with all that pristineness and rigidity, there's there's got to be a sense of darkness that goes on. That yeah. It's quite underworld of, of naughty, naughty things. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, you know, I... I I'm all, because in, I think Singapore is a perfect place for a lot of these stories to happen because it's such a pressure cooker. You know, when you spend your whole life like trying not to be something or being told you shouldn't be something, that's all you can think about. Um, you know, and uh, so so I think you know in some ways that's what makes it perfect in a way for a lot of these stories because you know something's going to give. Um, you know, if you you spend you know your, your whole life surrounded by all these rules, not just you know, government rules, but societal rules, rules as well. Um, you know, you're going to feel so much pressure at some point, something will explode. So the tax code and the, the fines, I'm, I'm wondering, I don't know that, I know that it's a very wealth-induced in, place, and I'm wondering if the economy is is because of the, the, the money is attracted, because of the stability that's enforced on the country, or if it's part of the growth cycle of China, or um, why exactly the money comes in there? Well, equitably <laughs> distributed through taxation. Um, well, I mean, it's it's a Singapore is socialist democratic, um, and so I would say it's it's um it's more even than others, um, and um, and. You know, if you, uh, you know, universal healthcare is amazing there. Um, you know, it's it's pretty much free for everyone. Um, you know, I had to go to the doctor once when I was home, and the the visit at the last minute, including medicine, was like seven dollars. Um, you know, and and but it's um so they they it's a system that really tries to take care of its citizens as much as possible, um, all citizens. So, you know, I don't know if that answers your question. And then the wealth. 
it's attractive because it's a huge financial center. So mm -hmm. is, is that a historical factor? Or? Yeah, but partly because of its positioning. Um, it's on, on the tip. It started when the British came. The British set uh, turned it from a small fish, Malay fishing village into a bustling port because of its great location. It's surrounded by water. It's in this spot that was like right on all these trading channels. And uh, it was the perfect spot for people to kind of do stop, you know, refuel, trade, and then go back. Um, and so from that moment, like that was what sort of established Singapore as a great geographic location for business. Um, and so even now, you know, it's a great hub for people who do business all over Asia, um, you know, to locate your company or, you know, or just to, you know, or just have a satellite office there. Um, and as for wealth, the, in recent years, they've tried to, the government has tried to um, model itself a little bit more like Switzerland, um, and so as a safe haven for money. So that's part of why, you know. Yeah, it is socialist Democrat. Yeah. Uh, one last question, maybe? Very good. Right. Going, going. Oh. No, we got one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how, how, do you, how do you see Singapore changing now? You know, now, now that you're away, and you think that it might lead to a Singapore door, too. <laughs> um, well, you know, when I, when I, um, what's exciting now in Singapore is that the, the Singaporean literature scene is really blossoming. Um, and, um, and a lot of the new guard, uh, the young people, are, um, are people, and there are a few of them in here, um, are people who are really pushing the envelope in ways that the old guard didn't really. Um, I mean, I'm not blaming them or anything, but, um, but it was just a different time. And so I think now they're a little bit braver, um, and it's great to see. Um, you see more gay writers uh, there, which uh, this is a country where it's still illegal. And so, um, and, um, you know, so it's, it's very brave um, of them to, to really, you know, write about. One of the writers in here uh, was Singapore's first openly gay writer, and it was very important to me to include him in this collection um, because I wanted diverse voices. And, um, and, you know, I know it's been hard for them to fight that fight a little bit in some ways. Um, you know, you write a book with gay content in it, and maybe no one notices it or, like, bookstores don't carry it. Um, so that was important to me. Um, and also one of the stories, uh, one of the, the people in here is a playwright uh, who told me this very funny story about how um, a Singapore publisher was putting together. She's Singapore's most prolific playwright. She's written like thirty-something plays, and um, and uh, this publisher wanted to do like a, you know like a big like you know collection of all her plays. And uh, he said we you, we can't include this one. And she's like, but why? He's like, well, it has two lesbian characters in it. And she was like, so like what are they going to do? Like date each other? <laughs> and he said, no, no, no. He's like, you know. One lesbian is okay, but two is too much. <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, so, you know, so what I'm really hoping that this will do is, um, you know, two things. Like, it, I'm hoping that it will um, change people's perception of Singapore here, but also in Singapore, I'm hoping that it will help, you know, encourage writers there to, to you know, not be, to, to write, to be unafraid when writing um, and just see what comes out. Could you get arrested if you wrote? Um, you can be fined uh, for defamation and, and things like that. Um, so they did that with a cartoonist last year. Um, 
and um, it, ca it can be it can be very big um, these fines so uh, it can be completely crippling and so people do you know and 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 you're not only self-censoring when you're there but your publisher is also self-censoring so it's like a lot of different layers because even if you decide I'm gonna be brave I'm gonna do this the publisher will be like well you know let's change this let's take out one lesbian character or you know let's you know so it's um you know so it's it's a uh, it's more it's much more difficult there than you would think. It's definitely it's nothing that you would face here. So, uh, well, technically, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, yes. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Well, I want I want to thank Skylight Books. Uh, I want to thank Henry Furman of AJ, and also I want to thank the Asian American Journalists Association. Um, they do so much uh, great event programming, and um, they do so much for uh, you know just sort of um, di having diverse voices in every newsroom. Um, and so, if you haven't looked up the website, you should. It's aaj.org. It's a fun organization. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm signing books, so. <laughs> You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.